Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, it's alive. We watched Frankenstein. I did not give it the oomph that he gives it, but... It's alive! Alive! <laughs> yeah, like that. There we are. Uh, we are talking about 1931's cla- uh, Universal, right? Mm-hmm. Universal classic, because it's a universal monster. Frankenstein. But before mm-hmm. we do that, I have hiccups. How was your week? <laughs> Um, I've had a hiccups once on a trip. Oh, no. A road trip that lasted for the better part of an entire day. Mm-hmm. And I think it might have been the six wine tastings I did that day that resulted uh, in... You just became a stereotypical drunk from yes, a I did. 30s film? Yes, I did. Absolutely, 100%. And then I just sort of staggered around a lot, but I was very entertaining. I um, believe so you. Hopefully that won't happen to you because after a while it just got to be very annoying. No, I think it was just the one because mm. I drank too much Coke too quickly after my pizza. Uh, it's been a long day. Yes, it has been. And we are still going. And then mm-hmm. after this, we are, we will still be going. Yes. And going and going. Energizer like Bunny. Energizer Bunny. So, mm-hmm. no, you stole it from me. Mm-hmm. Are you want to talk about this movie? Okay. All right. So, you are going to lead us on our discussion, but let's start with this movie directed by James Whale. Mm-hmm. Why do we know who James Whale you know is? Who James Whale is because he is the subject of the film Gods and Monsters. That's right. And he was an openly gay director working in Hollywood in the 1930s. Yes. Um, and he, uh, he came from a background of. Uh, he was a soldier in the First World War. Okay. He went on to sort of tackle these subjects. He was asked by Howard Hughes to work on the war film that Hughes was doing, Hell's Angels. And he devised these really spectacular scenes. From there, he transitioned into doing other sort of dramatic films with a lot of sort of uh, dramatic effects to them and in-camera effects, and that's mm-hmm. part of the reason why he tackled Frankenstein with such verve. Gotcha. We've seen Dracula, which was We've done by Dracula. Todd Browning, and that was a sort of a static, almost like you're watching a stage play. Yes. When you're watching this film, you're aware of the fact that James Whale loves a moving camera. Loves it's moving, moving between camera. walls, it's moving up staircases. Yes. How did they achieve this with this huge camera setup yeah. they had back then? I don't know. Magic. But, no, um, probably just wounding of the staff. Right. And... <laughs> Because there was wounding of the stars, for sure. Right. And is he a star if he's just a question mark in the opening? Mm. Well, the apparently Universal was $2 million in the hole before Dracula. Uh, Dracula made up $70,000. Remember, this is when a film was a, like a dime. Yes, this, th- yes right. Like right. To, to go to the movie. It's like a movies. ticket. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and it made $70,000 over the first week. And so they thought... We have to do this again. Because guess what, y'all? Horror? Cheap to make. Right. High box office draw. Always has been. Always, always will be. be. <laughs> so um, they tried to entice a particular Hungarian star, of which we're all familiar, to do this. Do you mean Bela Lugosi? <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the issue that Bela Lugosi has is that the character doesn't speak at all. He does not. Not one word. And so he didn't want to have a part where he didn't speak. He didn't want to have a part covered in all this makeup where no one would recognize his face. Oh, he didn't want to dip his feet in 25 pounds of con- concrete no. and get a fucked up spine for the he rest of his not. life? Oh, no. <laughs> so um, 
he wound up saying no to the part. And eventually, the director who was going to work with Lugosi was pulled out of the project as well, and James Whale was put in. Mm-hmm. And Whale hired actors he'd all worked with before. Uh-huh. Colin Clive was an actor he'd worked with before, and so was... Um, and there were some holdovers from the Dracula film as well. Edward Van Sloan. Edward Van Sloan, who played Van Helsing in the first film, was now going to be playing... Um, what was the character's name? Doctor something. Doctor Waldman. 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 Doctor Waldman. Waldman. And uh, Dwight Fry, who had been Renfield in Dracula, uh, and given such a great performance there, is now giving an equally great performance as Fritz. This sort of oh, he's playing Fritz. Right. So Renfield and Fritz are played by the same character. The same actor. actor. Yeah. And this was just wow. the rest of his career playing sort of emotionally or physically and or physically twisted people. Who take their so uh, real Andy Circus right? That's kind of what he did, and um, but uh, the question mark that we see. There's a couple of things about the titles that will bother you. First of all, before you even see the film, oh, so, okay, <laughs> yes, Edward Van Sloan comes out and talks to the audience. He does and warns you that what you're about to see is going to disturb you and and possibly horrify you, but it will thrill you. And he just like, you've been warned. And that's how it got on the AFI thrill list. Right. Because and, he said so, and <laughs> so it must be the case. And he disappears behind the curtain. And then, is a title card up? Yes. With two Carl Lumleys? Yes. Carl Lumley presents, presents a Carl Lumley film. <laughs> I was like... Featuring the talents of Carl Lumley. What um, is happening right and, now? Uh, and my favorite and your favorite uh, credit, which read, uh, based on the novel by Mrs. Percy Mrs. Shelley. Mrs. Percy Shelley, and I wanted to stab everyone. Hey, guys, here's a little fun fact about the book, Frankenstein. There's a book? Generally acknowledged, yes, by a woman. Mm-hmm. A oh lady my God. All right. who was a mere teenager, I believe, at the time of writing, right? 19, 20? So. She was very, very young. Um, and she wrote this book, and it is generally acknowledged to be the first science fiction novel ever. Right. Ever? Ever. That's right. I was looking this up today, and there's some some precursors in terms of science fiction uh, tropes. But sure. the the invention of science fiction is squarely laid on the shoulders of both Mary Shelley and Edgar Allan Poe. It's also a very early novel, just mm-hmm. novel. Yeah. And women were writing, were largely novel writers at the beginning for whatever reason. Hmm. I mean, they had time, I guess. <laughs> and, you know, wanted to live lives that they were not allowed to live, so they went ahead and put it on pages. What's up, Jay Austin? Well, What's up, Bronte sisters? I see you. <laughs> Well, in this case, I hope to God this is not the life that she wanted to live. No. This was a part of a literary contest. Well, her husband was writing froofy poetry, she was like, I'm going to write a horror. And it is sci-fi, but it is also horror. horror. She wrote the first, what we would now call gothic science fiction. Okay. Which is a genre, which Nigel Neal, who is one of my favorite writers and filmmaker, you know, film, well, he's a filmmaker. Did that with the Quatermass stories, which are deeply gothic and at the same time very science oriented. I want to um, say that alien. Robin Cook does that, but he's not really gothic, probably. Um, some of his stuff dips into the gothic. Coma yeah. is pretty gothic. Coma is pretty gothic, yeah. And then uh, also um, some of the things that uh, Ira Levin. Ira Levin. Ira Levin also dipped into the kind of science fiction gothic. 
uh, with things like the Stepford Wives. Yes. Uh, but the actual... This is the start of it. Right. This is really the start of a lot of things. She wrote what she wanted to write and created genres. Right. And characters that are literally universal. <laughs> not just not just because of the studio that put them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie came out November 21st, 1931. Just in time for spooky season. <laughs> and uh, it costs $262,000 to make. And it Brought in a cool $12 million. Yes. <laughs> this film was a benchmark in a lot of ways for films the way that films were being. It was probably the first big use of German expressionism. Yeah, film. I can see that. Um, in the States, Dracula started that trend, but this film really immersed itself in it. And it was the beginning of really the universal horror cycle yeah. because they didn't know if they could do duplicate the success of Dracula and they, they can did. and they did and Blum looks uh, Jason Blum looks at the history and goes I'm mm-hmm. gonna just do that and what's it's very <laughs> funny to think that after Universal did this and their films run their cycle 15 years after those films are done Hammer goes back to Frankenstein and starts all over again yep and starts the same cycle with the same story yep and so then Universal tried it again and then Tom Cruise ruined it well <laughs> <laughs> The sad Oops. part about that is that at one point Guillermo del Toro was attached. The other sad part about that is they mm. missed the whole point where you make it for not that much money. Right. You don't make a hundred million dollar Wolfman. Mm-hmm. You make a sixty million dollar Wolfman. If you're Jason Blum, you make a five million dollar Wolfman and hope. Right. You're probably going to break even at the very least. <laughs> Tickets cost half a million dollars these days. Don't think much. <laughs> so right. we start in a village in the Bavarian Alps. Bavarian, Bavarian we Alps. We start in a village in the Bavarian Alps. And Henry Frankenstein. That confused me very much. His name is Henry Frankenstein. Mm, for no reason, apparently. They changed his name from the book. In the book, it is Victor Frankenstein. If you're thinking to yourself, hey, I thought his name was Victor. Yeah. And also, there's a character in this movie named named Victor. Victor. And I was like, is this his brother? What's happening? There's a couple of things that are confusing about the film to me, which is, I don't know when the film is set. Yes. What period of time it's set in. Because they have what would, to to 1931, be contemporary electrical equipment. Sure. And that was provided by Kenneth Strickfaden, whose equipment gets reused in all Universal films. But he's also... Built like clearly built this himself, so it's like, is he a, is he a Tesla? Is he right. a, you know, is he a person who dabbles in that as well as his biochemistry, which is I think how they bioelectronics. I think was something else. Bioelectric, yeah. So so he's a you know mad scientist, and he um, <laughs> also the fact as as you pointed out, we're set in Bavaria, but everyone has an English accent. Every one of the main principals has an English accent. Every single one of them. But also everybody... But all the supporting cast have very pronounced Bavarian accents or these sort of middle European middle, German yes, accents. Yes, German, Austrian. Right. Yeah. So it's it's kind of confusing. That why, is, why do they sound different? I suppose it's meant to delineate between the aristocracy or the people with money because Frankenstein obviously is. We forgot to say, the other than the second... So there's three things in the opening credits. Mm-hmm. The Carol Emily presents Frankenstein, a Carol mm-hmm. Emily film. 
all on one title card uh, based on the book by Mrs. Mrs. Percy, Percy I think Percy B. Shelley even it said. Um, and then the monster title. Oh, the, there we go. In the credits for the cast, which there is not a large credited cast. It's mm-hmm. one title card. The monster is just a big question mark. Right. I'm just like, oof. And <laughs> he I does think, get a credit at the end. Yeah, I think the we credit verified. that we saw at the end might have been added later because there was an even, attempt to mm, keep him... The, uh, part of what... It's Boris Karloff. Say his name. <laughs> William, what is it? William Henry Pratt? I think oh, yeah, his that's actual his name. actual name, yes. Um, he Part of what Universal was trying to do was to create and cultivate another Lon Chaney Sr., Who's the man of a thousand faces? He could play any part. Sure, he could do anything. But he still got recognition for being a right person, for an actor. Person. This time they were trying to keep him an, an utter mystery, and because at this point, Boris Karloff had done bit parts, okay, to succeeding larger parts, but never more than a scene or two. In it turns out over eighty films. Before this? Before this. That's incredible. He was a middle-aged man at the time. He was in his, I think his 40s, his early 40s. Okay. And um, and so what happens is that uh, James Whale sees him and just thinks that, just stares at his bone structure for a while, which, yeah. as it turns out, is exactly what he needed. Yeah. And um, he started coaching him through the part, and Karloff said, I can't understand why... I was just beginning to get bigger parts. I had come to the set. I was all dressed up as a dandy. Yeah, he's 43 probably right. when they're filming. 43 or 44 when they're filming this, yeah. He says, I was all dressed up and looking my very best, and then suddenly he says, I want you to be an undead corpse, who he then you know, lurches around the set and, but, uh, and menaces children. So that was always his disappointment. But Karloff was very fond of the monster. He referred to it as his friend. And contrary to popular opinion, he only played the monster three times. Interesting. But he invented the part. So Can we talk about him for just a, sure. just a quick second? Uh-huh. So uh, my uh, entree to Boris Karloff is The Grinch, because mm-hmm. I was a child of the 80s. Um, did you know he married seven, seven times, six times? I believe he, yes, he did. Six times. I think maybe the last one stuck. It's unclear to me. It's literally married 1910, divorced 1913, married 16, divorced 19, married 20, divorced 22, married 24, divorced 28, married 30, divorced 46. That's once it's almost like he was old enough to get married at that point. Mm. And then married 1946. And then, then that's it. That's all. So. Do you think he was, like, getting people their green cards? Or, like, what is that about? I don't know. He apparently was a very charismatic individual, and that's something you can see through his performance. Um, uh, one of the, um, the people who had worked contemporary with him said that he, oddly, was a very lovable person. Everyone seemed to be drawn to him, including children and animals. The little girl who we see later on in the film. Huh. <laughs> Maria. <laughs> she did, because we were wondering how on earth did this child see this horrific looking yes. character? Yeah. She did not know it was when she first saw him in makeup was when he showed up on the set to be driven over to 
this lake that he has to throw her in. And I'm not spoiling anything because everyone is, knows what the story is. Yeah. But apparently she saw him and immediately recognized him through several pounds of, and it was pounds. Pounds of makeup. Of mortician's wax and, you know, Because putty. he just had a vibe. Right. He had a vibe and she immediately ran up and held his hand and asked to ride in the car with him to the set. Which was very sweet, but apparently he was just that kind of person. That's really interesting. Yeah, because yeah. we had we had speculated that they had met Offset, mm-hmm. which they had apparently, yeah. um, and that maybe she had seen him through the makeup process so that she would. Because right. she is ex- that's a really good child act, like child performance. It's not long, but it is. Very natural. It's pivotal, too. If she hadn't gotten that right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's something key to the story of her just being unafraid Mm -hmm. and then him ending her (laughs) through... It's an accident. Mm -hmm. He he makes a mistake. And what do you know about mistakes? (laughs) Mistakes can happen to anyone. Yes. See? So... um, there, you have to be like, oh no, for her, but also like, oh no, for him. Right, and <laughs> you and have to. The fact that in some prints of the film they cut that scene out, so it makes absolutely no sense why everyone's on the rampage after him, which is really strange. It's they cut that whole scene out with a child, and it's ju- you just cut to the scene later on of the father dragging the, his daughter's dead body, seeing the monster killed her. And so it suddenly becomes much more sinister. Like well, that feels you... like you did something and are blaming right. a monster. Or it was know, very yeah, weird. That's, yeah, that's odd. But um, but yeah, Boris Karloff was he he's ha- had a really long career. Yeah. Yes. And he um, he worked with all sorts of directors before, including Howard Hawks and Cecil B. DeMille, and then mm-hmm. he starts doing this. And he was able to get away from horror movies for a while, but then he went back to them because he liked doing them. Yeah. <laughs> honestly. Yeah. You know, and... And then he... Mm-hmm. I know that he did a lot of voiceover work and did a lot reading, of voiceover like, work. Um, a narration of He did a lot of... Things. I have a book, one of my favorite books that's sitting right over there on the shelf, is a collection of stories, And Darkness Falls, and it's literary authors collected by Boris Karloff. Oh, so he loves the genre, yeah, too. Yeah, he loves the genre. So it's like he collected everyone. I mean, these are horror stories from people who you don't think of as writing horror. Right. Like Joseph Conrad or Charles Dickens or, you know, Dorothy Sayers or things like that. It's a really wonderful book. Uh, Somerset Mom has a really great one in there. But anyhow, uh, he was a very intelligent, erudite man. And uh, the other thing that's interesting about him that I did not know until recently is that he was an Anglo-Indian. Oh, that make I can see that, like, in his features. Right. But uh, I got a hold of a very early biography of his that did not mention this at all. And then more recently... No, of course not, because oh, well, he was born know, in his, the 1800s. Right. His he was literally born was in, in 1880. His father wasn't, you know, an, yeah. uh, an Amer- uh, British uh, civil servant in India. Oh, Anyhow. and his mother was Indian? Yeah. Like, full in Like, so he was half Indian? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, okay. um... Anyhow, so, right, sorry, I wanted to just yeah, but he, mention he has, there that. are so many great Boris Karloff films. I mean, he had a whole arc to his career where he's doing Frankenstein. Then he goes from that, and then he was working with um, Val Luton doing 
Yeah. One of the great horror performances ever in The Body Snatcher, where he just plays a grave robber who's just nasty and mean. And also, he never changed his name legally. Mm-mm. He always signed, and he signed professional documents, William H. Pratt, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Boris Karloff. <laughs> like, but, if you want to call me that, you can. Do you think they called him Bill? Who knows? I, I bet he was a Bill. He, he apparently was very athletic, which was good for him. He, good for him, because he was a this, cricketer. Uh, Really, this, yes. uh, there are some things, just in the set, this set is trying. Right. The steps up and down the set. The castle keep, it, or, the ca- the keep yes. or whatever, the watchtower. Um, it, are insane. They look like a painting. They mm-hmm. look like they are unusable. Until people start walking And then on people them. keep going right. up and down them, including old men, which right. probably aren't actually old men. Um they're probably aged up, but like, and then he has to come down them, and I'm just like, yeah. no. And he was wearing <laughs> asphalt layers boots, um, which. I, what, what, what is that? What that is was that? something that used to be used for people. It just as a lift. Surface the road. It, and together, the pair of them weighed 25 pounds. And he we also. Had no was other options. Wearing. Uh, one of the things that was more difficult was James Whale was looking at the early drafts of makeup. Here's the other issue. Uh, Jack Pierce, who's one of the most amazing makeup men who ever lived, mm-hmm. also not apparently a really nice guy, but makeup men apparently didn't tend to be for a long time, um, would do his face over all the time and then take it off. There was no, no latex appliances, yeah, they were none of that. That was something that would come another 10 years from then. So he, collidian and, and uh, gauze and... Mortician's wax and putty and stuff yeah, like that. Wax, waxes and putties were, yeah. And um, and so James Whale suggested the flat top of the head with these kind of screws that come over. Yeah. And you don't see that in later versions because it was considered too gruesome. Yeah. And there's the bolts in the neck, which are how the electricity gets into his brain and all. But um, this led to... He also... So Karloff was, I'm okay because I can see... And then at one point, James Whale says he, he his eyes look too alive. He looks like he's alive. So they took back and put mortician's wax over they his like, lids. Yeah, they did like they did a droopiness. Right. Yeah. Over his eyelids, so he almost couldn't see. He's wandering up and down these sets. In yeah, these that's so dangerous. And he is a, he wound up spending the end of his life in a wheelchair. He would get out of a wheelchair mm. when he was doing. You know, like I said, different phases in life when he's working for Mario Bava doing films. Uh, an amazing film, Black uh, Sabbath, or Black Sunday. I think it was Black Sunday. Um, he uh, has to get out of his chair, wheelchair, to do his scene, and right. then he goes back. Yeah. Afterwards, and yeah, it was amazing, amazing what he would get through. Anyhow, so okay, sorry. So yes, so that's. I just wanted to talk a little so, bit about him. Yes. And now we're in a village the, in the Bavarian Alps inexplicably Dr. Henry Frankenstein. Go ahead. And he's cutting down a body from a gibbet. Yes. And they're taking it to their laboratory and he's explained to Fritz how he's going to make a human being. But he needs Fritz to steal a brain for him because they found a body that has a, you know, they dug up a body recently. I guess the brain is damaged. It's the, the neck was broken. Right. And the so, neck was broken on the one on the gibbet. Oh, and the one that, oh, right. Because right, they have two bodies now. And they're going to put them together piecemeal to make a yeah, which and he does it in a wild way, y'all, because there are like scars across like the forearms where he had in the middle of the forearm right. connected the arms. You guys, this is just 
from me to you, if you ever are finding yourself in need to build you know, a body. Sew the body together like you do. Keep it simple. Yes. You want legs probably from the same pe- person so that they're the same length, but both legs, whole legs from top to tip to toe. You want two arms from shoulder to tip your hands. Just sit the whole thing. You don't have to piece that shit together. And then you want torso and head. That's you want all you want five pieces to come together to make a person. I don't understand the scars in the random places. I'm just like, why are you taking a third of a limb and putting it on a two-thirds of another limb when the limbs were totally fine to begin with just to say you could. Like, what are you Well, he's, uh, he's isolated and he's not well. He's not. He's but he ha- why isn't he well? It's not like he doesn't have a lady that loves him. That's it's all you need. Uh, apparently not. So <laughs> he lives in this old disused watchtower. He sends... Fritz out to go get a brain for him. And this is where we first meet Dr. Baldwin, who's lecturing a class on good and bad brains. Here's the brain of a criminal. Here's the brain oh, of I didn't a... Even, I, didn't, I didn't think that was Dr. Baldwin's class. Yeah. Here's the brain of a sane person. This brain has damage to this part of the... Look at the difference in the frontal lobe. This is why he's it's not so able smooth. to think. Smoothness. Right. And when he... When Baldwin and his class leave... Fritz creeps in through the window and grabs the healthy brain. He's trying to get away from it, but there is a sounding of a dinner gong or something. Yeah, in the something background. like that. He gets startled and drops, and he drops the glass. it. So then he grabs the wicked brain. Now, how that affects anything that happens later on, I don't know because it doesn't. None of what the monster does. It don't, you don't even feel like calling him a monster. One of none of what the creature does. None of is what the creature evil. does. It's just it's, yeah. He's reacting ignorance. right to. A terrible stimuli. Right. In a way that an alive thing would react to stimuli. So then from, we cut from these sort of gruesome surroundings to Henry's fiancée, Elizabeth, and her friend, Victor. It's so confusing. Why did they change the name? And Anyways. she's doing a very 30th kind of performance. Why? Why doesn't he want to be with me? We're going to be married soon. And he's locked away in that tower doing all sorts of experiments that are unhealthy for unhealthy his mind. Unhealthy for his mind. And... Um, they, uh, Victor's like, we'll talk to Waldman, we'll talk to him, we'll get him back, it'll be fine. So they show up. And I'm like, why are you talking to this man? Are you and he having some sort of affair? Are you ruined? <laughs> I don't, still don't know what time period this is. Could you be ruined? I don't know. <laughs> they visit Dr. Waldman, and Dr. Waldman says, well, he's, you know, he's, 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 um, he's, yeah, he's putting something together. And so when they hear what he has in mind, they're sort of horrified, and they go up to the ke- the keep on a dark and stormy night. On a dark and stormy which night. Which is the very Not just beginning. a dark and stormy right. night. The dark and stormy night. And so it's, I love the, I, they open the door, and it, you know, for, or rather, uh, as Fritz and Frankenstein are going through their, their, their paces, and they're getting the equipment ready and everything, um, there's a knock on the door. And this is a scene that almost made me laugh because it's been parodied in not just Young Frankenstein. Yeah, it, it is has been parodied though, yeah. in all the cartoons and the TV skits and, you know, seeing Carol Burnett's version of this scene so many times, right? They open the door and it's pouring rain outside and he's telling them to go away. And it's like, at least let us in. 
shelter from the storm and all, and eventually they talk in- him into seeing what's in the lab, you know? Well, they don't. They talk him into letting him in. He says, stay here, and they probably fucking don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just don't. You guys, the other thing that surprised me as we're watching this, mm-hmm. this movie is 70 minutes long. Seven right. zero. One hour and ten minutes long for a film. And we are a good 20 minutes in right before we get to here now, i should not say that though to its credit it's never dull it's never Those dull 20 minutes i mean you literally start in a graveyard yeah, with yeah. no no, no it's not dull yeah. but but i'm just saying mm. in a 70 minute film right when at some point we need to get to it's alive right. you that should you think that would happen in the first right third it does not. <laughs> yeah, it's, because then he this this scene he goes on and on, right? And on. I think part he of it like fully unravels in front of them. Is the proportions of, or rather, they're trying to dole out what they think the audience can handle Maybe. at the time. Maybe is that you needed to give them a respite from because you started the movie with them cutting a body off a gibbet. That's true. And so, and I'm like, but. I'm jaded. <laughs> Here right. in 2022, I mean, I'm jaded. That's that's nothing. Two people watching this film, I don't think any of them had seen a representation of a brain falling out of a jar getting covered in broken glass. That's pretty gruesome even now. It's yeah, like, we've got human centipede in 2022, right. so... But at the time, they hadn't seen something like that before. Right. This sort of brain sitting in a jar. And they even sort of make the, the water a little opaque so you can't quite see the brain it, yeah. until it falls out. Um, Sorry, cold. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I think they were trying to pace it out so that you didn't actually just send Maybe, people screaming yeah. from the theater. Um, something that we'll see later on when we get to uh, The Exorcist eventually. There were scenes that people were literally screaming and running out of the theater and fainting and things like I've that. I've been in a theater where people were screaming and running out. I, I've actually been too. What was your film? It was one of the Paranormal Activity movies. I saw the French film To My Sister. Oh, no. And I won't watch that movie because you told me about it. The last it. 10 minutes of that film, there was a woman literally who just jumped out of her seat and ran screaming down the aisle. And other people got up and walked away, but that woman just let it all out. It was, And then, yeah, it kind of deserved I it. I think it was the third Paranormal Activity movie. Mm-hmm. And Stephanie had come with me, but she couldn't stay with it because it was too much mo- motion and it was mm-hmm. making her sick. But she just said, I, I don't want to leave. I'll just sit out in the hallway and mm-hmm. you can go ahead and finish the film. And there was a girl who was sitting behind me and to the right. And she had, like, like at least four times. She screamed, stood, and ran <laughs> down the stairs and around, and like, from the right side out of the, le- out of the, store, the door on the left. Um, and then would come back. And it was, I was like, this is getting. Right. Like, what do you, and the thing that I remember most about her is, her lack of a any kind of a supportive undergarment. Oh no! And the size of her bosom. <laughs> and just, I was just like, that looks like it hurts, and you keep doing it. <laughs> like, what is happening? I remember watching with a friend of mine. Um, the oh God, what was the film? Not Insidious, it was the film about... Sinister? 
No, no. Yeah, it was Sinister. Sinister. That and is supposedly the scariest movie the of all time. That film is pretty horrifying. Um, like the first image you see. It's ex- it's extremely upsetting. Right. Um, they did some sort of test where they hooked up a bunch of people to, um, you know, heart monitors and things like that. And um, it, like, it right. was the most jarring physically to audiences of any film that they yeah, showed them, including Exorcist. Right. Something about that movie. And a big part of it, I think, is the family annihilation. Right of it is visceral to the human experience when, so you're gonna be it's when upsetting. you get to the exorcist you'll see what the issue is which mm-hmm. is and the, the part that actually affected me was was this is my kid and That's I, a child yeah they're, they're my kid is acting this way yeah and i can't stop them and then they you know so i think with sinister it takes it a step further yeah. where my kid is trying to kill me now right but there was a not only did the person who was watching it with me at one point after the opening scene, I wound up wearing her like a, a stole around yeah, her right. neck because she, she just, just like crept around, around her. Yeah. And there was a young woman a couple of rows down who almost immediately got on her phone and started calling her friend and describing everything that was going and screaming constantly. Oh, and my God. Like, Shh. Yeah, we're ma'am, trying to see the movie. You know that you're in a movie theater right, right now, right? You're not in your living room. What are you doing? Just, oh my That's God. like oh some post-pandemic nonsense. Right. But it was well before that. That's crazy. But All yeah, right. so so anyhow, they were probably so, pacing out the horrors here. Yes. So, and he goes on quite a long mm-hmm. diatribe. You do get the sense that this motherfucker has issues. Done lost his damn mind. He, he has That's what issues. I was going to say. <laughs> and there's a wonderfully done scene where they lift this... Uh, Corpse on mm-hmm. a um, on a like a weird gurney thing that gets elevated to this the roof of this tower. He's struck by lightning and then he comes back down again. And that's when Colin Clive gets to just yeah. loses his shit. Uh, it's alive! It's alive! You it's know. a very good line reading. Right. I mean, it is a classic for a. But he reason. also looks like he's half doubled over. He looks he great. Is, he he's is. Just, he does lose. I like that actually right. because it. He loses. It, he almost like he goes weak at the knees. Right. right. Like he can't believe that he's done this thing. Right. Because he does have a god complex, but also when you have a god complex, you don't actually believe you're gonna be a god, and then oops, right, god status unlocked. <laughs> it's now I know what it's like. I feel like God. Mm-hmm. That line in some of the early prints also got taken out. That seems they, right, they because roll, that seems um, blasphemous as hell. There's some thunder rolling that happens, that was used. That sound effect was dubbed over it so you could see his mouth moving, but you, we have a restored print. Um, so, the creature is brought to life. It is. Well, some semblance some there kind of life. We, and yeah, we that, don't... He can't communicate right. with spoken language. He doesn't say any words no. in this. Now, in the book... Oh, he's very articulate. He, he speaks, does end he, up learning right. to speak, right. Um, but, um, as a matter of fact, in the sequel, Bride of Frankenstein, he learns a couple of simple words, uh, which Karloff was against, but he also saw the wisdom of James Whale's approach, which is to have him... We, we need to humanize him Right, we can't do the same possible. thing we did before. We're going to now do yeah. the sequel and 
And the fact the that there's days. a sequel to this doesn't make any sense, but we'll get there when we get right. there. Um, he, he, okay, so when he stands and looks, yes, he is disarming. You said, we, he's, he's thought of as green now. He's, mm-hmm. gr- it's a black and white film. Right. And he was painted green. Right. So he would look. To get the right color gray. gray Corpse like, right. On his, in his, um, it, on the film, which he does look, and, um, he looks off kilter, like he th- doesn't look right. Like he's sort of mush, mush. There's <laughs> amazing makeup yeah. on his face. There's we, and you don't get a lot of close-ups on it. The first, the most, the most close-ups we get is that first sort that of very first when telescoping they, close-up where they just you know the camera keeps getting closer and closer, and then you're looking into this really hollow, sunken cheek. Yes, and part of that was Karloff who. Um, because of his sporting life, had actually knocked out part of his back. Oh, okay, yeah, he, so he had just removed his plate, and then it sunk his cheeks, and yeah. that really gave him something to work with. Um, you know who he reminded me of? Is this going to be cruel? I don't want to be cruel. He had Abe. He, Abe Vigoda got uh, gone to that same sort of yeah, way. like vibes to him. There's some interesting scenes with Karloff here. And the cruelty that Frankenstein and Fritz are inflicting. Frankenstein is disappointed with this creature because it's mute. And yeah. there's a, a really interesting scene where they open up the sunlight in the keep. And the monster is reaching towards the sunlight. Reaching the towards time, the sunlight, yeah. And he's trying to. And as a matter of fact, uh, May, is it May Which is a beautiful... Right. She said that she talked to the director about it. And she's like... She felt it was like um, one of the descriptions in the Gospels where they're reaching towards seeing God, and and then they cut the light off, and he's like, he's, what was that? Yeah, he is crestfallen. Like, it right. is the, some of the most palpable disappointment you'll yeah. ever see. And, and no words. Yeah, it's completely Just this deflation. Right. And confusion... Because he doesn't, like, it's very clear that this thing does not understand what he's doing. What here. is happening. What's going on. Why am I here? What is this? I've got to also presume mm-hmm. everything hurts. Yeah. Because this motherfucker decided to sew everywhere. And I don't know if you've ever had sutures. They don't fucking feel good. No, they don't. <laughs> and I, uh, speaking from <laughs> right. recent experience, um, so his entire body... It must be in pain. Must be in pain. pain. And he can't... Express it Express either. that in any way. And even if he could, they mm-hmm. don't give a fuck. Right. Frankenstein is almost right away of the mind that he should... He doesn't want to destroy it, but Dr. Valman keeps convincing him it has to be destroyed. He doesn't want to destroy it because he thinks it'd be um, admitting defeat, even though he admits defeat almost immediately. Right, because he sunk ignores into the creature. Depression. He's the fucking worst. Fritz, like, on the other hand, is torturing him. Yeah. Is constantly whipping him and beating him and, and keeping I, him in chains. He's in chains. Right. You know, we just watched the new Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio. Right. Which I'm going to talk about later. But um, there is a character in there that um, tortures Pinocchio because mm-hmm. it's jealous of Pinocchio's place. Right. 
And I wonder if that's... Oh, I'm sure it was. Because, was, again, Del Toro loves this movie. Right, right. But, like, Fritz is not necessarily designed to be a cruel character. Mm-hmm. Although there's not a lot of character there, really. Right. He's just doing what he's told. But he is... He's supposed to tend to this mm-hmm. creature that he doesn't right. have any affinity for or understanding of. And it's so much bigger than he is and so much seemingly stronger than mm-hmm. he is. And yeah, he's just whipping him and beating him. And, and shoving a torch in his face. That's right. Yes, taunting um, him with fire. And so at one point while Dr. Ballman is discussing with Frankenstein what they should do with the creature. Yeah, meanwhile, Frankenstein's just as a woe is me fucking yeah. white man <laughs> stupor. They hear the this worst. horrible scream yeah. because the creature has broken its chains long enough to get a hold of Fritz. Fritz. And to his, stop right, the, torture. the torture. And the way he does that, of course, is by ending Fritz's life. Right. <laughs> Snuffed out like a candle. (laughs) So now... Off screen. Off screen. It's an off screen death. Yes. Which all of them except... Yeah, because you don't see the little girl die either. Right. There's a reason for that, but we'll go into that in a second. Mm -hmm. So now Frankenstein is completely convinced this was a failure, this was a mistake, Mm -hmm. and Fritz is dead. Yep. He had some sort of affection for Fritz. Yeah. So he he doesn't know what to do. Dr. Ballman is like, look, I'll take care of it. You go to the village, you get married, you know, because his dad shows up. Yeah, the, there is a, a sort of, it's not a subplot. It is kind of a subplot. It is so, a subplot. Meanwhile, in the village, uh, his dad, uh, Colonel Frankenstein, I don't know what, he's got a title. It's not Colonel. He's not, it's not military. Um He's like the richest man in the village. Baron Frankenstein. Baron. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> um, yes. is the richest man in the village. He has a mighty mustache. That is what I will say for him. And he... Um, <laughs> there's like this weird scene where like the mayor of the town comes and it's like, when is this wedding happening? We are super ready for it to happen. And I'm just like, wow, this is... Everyone is up in his business, as as we say in the hood. And you know they're like, "Is this? It's not even going to happen, is it?" And he and the Baron is like, "Oh, it's gonna fucking happen." <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, what is her, her name? Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth. She's almost nothing in this thing. Um, is you know kind of thinking that it all is also not going to happen, but mm-hmm. she's so she's there with him. But there's this yeah these weird scenes where the Baron is just like I don't want to talk about it. Get out of my house. It'll happen when it happens. <laughs> you know, like and, and he, he's like, the one who eventually visits the keep. Yeah, and that's when Henry is brought back into oh well my responsibility is to get married and to be the next Baron and to carry yeah. this all on. And, and that, so Waldman's like, I'll stay here with this hypodermic needle that I'm going to stick in this thing's neck. Right. Does it work? No. No. And that's <laughs> the only time to me that Frankenstein's creature looks a little menacing because he keeps drugging it. He has it strapped down to a table. And then you see its hand creep up 
behind, strapped yeah. down, except the hand, free hand comes and creeps up behind yeah. Bowman, and then it cuts away very quickly. Cause, hey guys, pro tip, if you have a monster strapped to a board, and yeah. it's you're giving it drugs, and it's taking all the drugs, and you're trying to get rid of it, just cut off its head. I mean, I'm not saying that the creature You're not deserves advocating to die. The decapitation for the sake of decapitation. No, but no. what I am saying is it's uh, more effective than whatever the fuck Dr. Waldman was trying to do, which... Well, he was going to, like, have it completely drugged and then dissect it. Um... It- which here's what it, what mm-hmm. here's what you'll find when you dissect it all of the pieces that Henry put together like what and uh, then he kept a notebook read right. the notebook backwards you've dissected it <laughs> like, start at page fifteen it's and work not your an way alien. backwards right he did it somebody put this together what yeah no don't just just kill you. that's the other thing is you're just prolong, prolonging your torture of this thing that you created. You you made a life. Right. And you are now just torturing that life. So the monster so you're is shitty. He's now escaped and he's wandering on the countryside and he this comes down he, those stairs. It's very oh, upsetting and Lord, goes out into the sun. I'm looking at him and just going, "Oh god, <laughs> no, don't, 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 don't fall over." Cuz yeah, these steps are very narrow and they very high. They look like they and... are about 4 inches deep and 8 inches high. And they go up you know, basically the the height of three stories all at once. Yeah. It's wild. And, when you and they're think, made out of stone. And you think that they're not actually made of stone, that this is a... And you're going, how... Was there scaffolding? What is supporting the weight of everyone walking up the stairs? Uh, I'm, I, it brought me to mind of the scene in the film Day of the Locust where there's a director who's directing a battle scene on a huge indoor set and he has a bunch of people charge a hill that he doesn't realize is just burlap sacking covering over a scaffolding, oh, yeah. and so all of these they just extras <laughs> rush over and it collapses <laughs> and you know, it kills a bunch of people. It was really horrifying. Um, but yeah, it's like every time I saw that staircase, no, people going up the staircase, I'm like, no, 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 yeah. no. There, so I hope to God there's a structure underneath free. So he's, he's free. out of the watchtower and into Bavaria. And this is when he meets um, Maria. Maria, who's been left at home by her father, who right. is a very neglectful Mm -hmm. in just this one way. First of all, I'm going to leave my six-year-old home alone while I go to work is, I mean, it's a different time. I was left home alone when my parents went to work. Not probably not good. But they live on the banks of the lake. Right. And this bitch can't swim. Anyways, he should have taught this girl how to swim, is what I'm saying. Because it would have solved some issues. Anyways, what happens? She's sitting there um, playing with flowers and tossing them into the lake to float. And she sees Frankenstein. And instead of being afraid of him, she immediately comes over and begins playing with him. Just comes right up to him. Who are you? Where did you come from? I'm Maria. We're going to play together. And she just grabs his hand and pulls him over to the water. She says, we're going to make a boat. And she gives him... Flowers, puts little flower like daisies into his hand. Right. And then she th- says, she throws them, and look, they float, and they giggle together, and he throws them, and they, they float, and they giggle together, and then, oh, no. He extrapolates in a way that is unfortunate. <laughs> but also, this girl should know how to swim. Yeah, she, she does. 
So I had thought she he like held her in the water because mm. she was screaming at one right. point. But in this, he just picks her up because she, like a pretty flower right. and throws her in the water. And then there's a shot which sadly got cut out of some of the prints. Again, we got a restored print, so we got to see this. Where there's a look of absolute oh my god, it is heartbreaking, agonized despair. Because she on his starts face. yelling and right. and flailing around, and he's like trying to reach for her, and she he doesn't know he can't get to her. He doesn't know what to do. And I'm like, first of all, how fucking far out did she go? Why can't she swim at all? She should have been able to dog paddle back, and how he could have pulled her out. Like I don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah. Maybe her dress was made out of lead. I don't know. But he does in this realize. Yeah. And he can't, he has no words to express what's going on. No. It's just, his performance is amazing. His performance is really good. And we should say, like, Mm -hmm. all of his vocalizations are really, really interesting. They are not. One of the things I liked, and I I told you this on the drive home today, was how high-pitched he goes very yeah. often, which is sort of antithetical to what you would think. You think this low uh, sound, which is sort of what we think about when we think about this character. Right. He squeals quite frequently, especially t- at the end with fire. Mm-hmm. Which makes that scene just really hard In to In a way that is... Like... There's a truth yeah. to his vocalizations um, that I think are really, really good. And I wonder how they worked on that together, whether it was what came out of him naturally while he was acting that out or if he worked out yeah. what he would do. I'm I'm curious to know. I'll never know. He's yeah. dead now. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I really liked a lot of his vocalizations. But, yeah, he has he has made a mistake. And that mistake has ended Maria's life. Right. Which we don't know for sure until later. Right. Because we then cut back to boring old Henry, who's going on about, um, he's going to marry Maria. Woe is him. Right. And uh, his father is providing more and more beer, which is important to remember. And champagne. Yeah. But it's just, what did he say? His comment about, you know, it's amazing how much everyone likes you after two bottles of beer or how popular you become. The whole. It's like Oktoberfest right. in this town, too. Everyone I is, mean, it looks like Oktoberfest. Right. And I don't know if the father of this little girl is drinking or if the father had just gone to the party. Had gone to, or if he'd gone to work. Right. I thought he was going to work. Yeah, because... And then he was home, and then he brings the girl through right. the... Right, so he brings his daughter's body to the party. Like, he, he I mean, just... The, he's just walking. I don't know if he's aiming somewhere. Mm-hmm. But he is just carrying the body through the town. Right. He's not saying anything because he's in shock. And you said that's a really good um, performance by this little girl because she she is just limp. limp. Yeah. And you don't see her face. You don't see her breathing. You don't see any of that, which is always, you know, the kid performances, especially back in the day, are always kind of iffy. But But they don't even show her face. Like, you basically see, um, like, from her stomach down. From the way that he's carrying her, and he just carries carries her through the town. Yeah, just before this, I forgot to mention. Is that I after the? Yeah, yeah, I'm like the. Um, 
Henry is aware that the monster is loose somehow, which I don't understand. But he's suspicious that Valmond has not shown up at the wedding yet. Elizabeth keeps trying to tell him, oh, he'll show he'll up at the wedding. He'll show up, minute. he's coming, yeah. He hears the monster's noises somewhere. Oh, they're like ready to go. They're right. like, Valmond, when Valmond gets here, we're going to go. Right. Like, it's happening. She's in her dress with 70 fucking yards of lace. Right. Veil. It's wild. So much veil. So, he, when he hears this, Henry, he and Victor go running around the house. They lock. He locks he Elizabeth. He locks Elizabeth in, in her room. Right. Well, he goes off to go monster hunting. And this is also when you get a sense of James Whale's fluid camera work, because it's literally going through walls. You know that you're going through a set. But it carries a lot of momentum with it when you're just sort yeah. of like flying through walls and yep. looking at, you know, it's very interesting. Um, it never occurs to him that the monster could have distracted him and then just come in through the window in in the room where she's being prepared. Which is basically what has happened. He just walks through the window. The monster is just there right. in the room now. And then Elizabeth screams, screams. And uh, what I found interesting about this scene is that when Karloff is doing this, he's wiggling his fingers. And this is because when Mae Clark saw him, she was, and the first time she saw him in his makeup was in this scene. And she talked to him before, and they, he was English, and I believe she was English, and they're, you know, part of the English contingent hanging out in Hollywood. And they, he was just very charming and very funny and blah, blah, blah. And this is the first time she sees him in makeup, and she's just horrified. She can't get over it. That is the most hideous thing I've ever seen. Oh, oh my wow. God. Oh, my God. Oh, my uh, God. She starts having a panic attack. Oh, my God. And then he says, okay, okay, this is what I'll do. Watch me wiggle my finger. You'll know it's me, all right? It's gonna... Wow. <laughs> so, so Maria, the actress who played... The six-year-old actress who played Maria was right. like, this is an actor and I'm on a set. Right. And this grown-ass woman who has been in movies before was right. like, I'm going to need someone to prove to me that that's not a monster. <laughs> what? Ma'am. Yeah, apparently she just was... And again, having seen it even now, 2022, right? Even now, those close-ups of the, of the monster the close-ups are, are shocking unsettling, still. But also, he can still also talk to you. Right. So when the, when, when the, when the camera's not rolling, he right. could be like, yo, you good? <laughs> right. Well, this so, is what he's doing. It's like, you look, do this I'm weekend? going to wiggle my fingers <laughs> at you. Happening? This little pinky. Monsters don't have wiggly pinkies. I'm going to wiggle. So wild. So he does this. And so they got what effectively is a method performance out of her literally screaming herself screaming silly. Herself silly. And then she does pass out. She does not die. No, you guys, she does Elizabeth not. Which, is fine. Right. They get back into the room. The monster is gone. I don't know. The creature is gone. And then the dad goes walking through the streets with his dead and girl. And then Maria comes, yes, Maria's father comes through this, the town so then, saying she was murdered. Mm-hmm. And then it's search part. It's it's torches and pitchforks, right. guys, because it's literal torches and pitchforks. And once again, as you say, you were like, Oh, right, the entire town is fucking drunk. Right, exactly, which so, makes a lot more sense that, you know, all of a sudden they're filled with liquid courage and they're out to get this monster. And rage. And every yes. last one of them is out there. And they divide into uh, groups. and um, They're going to go three places, like the lake, the mountains, and there's a third one. The <laughs> windmill. Is it all up yeah. to the mill? Up to, okay. And so as it happens, um, Frankenstein... Meets his creature. The creature smacks the hell out of him, which apparently was one of the scenes where Karloff got hurt 
mm. because he has to, if you remember, place Colin Clive yeah. on his shoulder and carry him. And Colin Clive's not a small man. No, carry him up this set, which was tilted at an angle, and he's like Right, because he's going up to the windmill. Right, in his 25-pound boots. And uh, he gets up to the windmill. Uh, people, he, the door gets barred, bars itself somehow. Like he comes through it with so much force. Um, they're yeah. attempting to rescue <sighs> Frankenstein, and uh, the monster throws him. It throws or him throws off a of dummy. The, <laughs> right? it, throws a, it is a dummy. It is so clearly uh, a dummy. on like, top of no human has moved like that ever. It's just so floppy. It is right. a scarecrow. It is a scarecrow. Throws him <laughs> on top of the uh, one of the blades of the windmill. It hits the blades of the which saves his life. Right. <laughs> also, and the then, fact that it was a scarecrow <laughs> saved his life. And then they set fire to the windmill itself. Yeah. Which ends with it collapsing on Frankenstein, who's pinned, or the monster. The monster, who's yeah. pinned beneath a burning beam, and he's literally screaming like a child. It is yes, really, it is really a sad. high-pitched right. key that you hear, and it, it is, he's, he's a trapped animal. He is right. Who did not ask yes, for none any of this. of this. None of this is supposed to and happen. And also, he's burned alive. How? Is there a second one of these <laughs> so, with the same... Right. Because, you know, white men don't do. Learn from their motherfucking mistakes. Well, so the film ends, this film ends with this very odd kind of... Oh my God, it's such a weird denouement. I was like, so that's the end, right? Because the movies right. we've been watching, it's like... that. I was like... The end. Like, I expected literally yes. the words the end to come up onto the screen, and then it wasn't. It was mm. somebody walking down a hallway. And it's some sort of uh, very kind of... It was, oh, it was all of the maids. Yeah, very flip kind of, uh, we're going to bring Frankenst- uh, Dr. Frankenstein a drink, but then his wife is attending to him, and the father goes and goes, well, he has all the attendance he needs, I'll drink the wine. I'll drink the wine, yeah. And that's it. And it's that's a, it. Kind it's of a it's comic like ending. six maids come down mm-hmm. the hallway to bring the wine that his grandparents or his grandfather. The, I think the grandfather. It was his grandmother's wine because mm-hmm. she didn't allow grandfather to drink it all. Who probably died first. Oh. So then it was grand. It was your grandmother's wine. Okay. And he takes a tipple, and then he's like, "Nah, I'm gonna drink this. He's good." And that's it. And it's so weird. It's like what the. It's fuck? one of those strange forced happy endings. It felt like, like, like Baron Frankenstein was our Nick Fury. I'm like, are we? Is he the character I'm supposed to care most about? Because right. I promise that I we don't. don't care about Henry Frankenstein. No, Henry can suck it. Uh, it's interesting that in in the Hammer films, Peter Cushing plays Victor Frankenstein, and he is. Yes. The, re- the name mm. from the book. <laughs> the name from the book. And he plays him as an absolute sociopathic villain. Guess what? And the gist was... He kind of is. Right. Was that the filmmakers, having understood the character, go, well, the monster, or the creature, rather, isn't the monster of the story. The monster of the story is this guy who robs corpses, has a god complex, and wants to bring back the dead. Because why? What good is he serving humanity by bringing back the dead? It's not even bringing back a dead person, a specific dead person. We're going no. to create life for my own glory. It's like that's that's the guy, and and Cushing plays him as a just a, a nightmare. Yeah. Um, 
which is an equally good set of movies. But this one, what I Colin Clive, I don't understand what Elizabeth thinks she's going to get out of this relationship because he is nuts. <laughs> He's like me. Um, financial security is what Elizabeth so. is going to get out of this relationship because she couldn't have her own money, her own bank accounts, and she was basically owned by her father until she was owned by a husband. So I think what she's hoping for is early widowhood. Right. Because he's fucking rich. He's his dad is a baron. Like mm-hmm. the money is he's the wealthiest man in this town. She's hoping for financial Security and probably a kid, right? Maybe don't. I think maybe don't. Maybe 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 get knocked up by the help. Maybe don't have another don't bring another Frankenstein into the world because they're broken men. (laughs) The from what I, if I can remember, the Bride of Frankenstein starts that the the floor of the windmill collapses and buries the monster alive, but he's not burned any longer. Okay. But he comes out partly burned. Partly burned. And he does have, yeah, mm. he, I know that he is, the makeup is different in, right. the, in the later one, but uh, he doesn't it, have the hair, right? No. It's like, he's like bald now. But he, um, the, uh, yeah, so so I, I believe that's the case. And Colin Clive came back for that one too, and I, I think he dies at the end of that one finally. It's like, okay, yeah, he deserves it. the fucking but um but I've what, always yeah, I mean that's the thing. Yes. What do you Frankenstein think? Frankenstein is not the monster, it's the doctor, but also Frankenstein is the, the monster. monster. Oh certainly. <laughs> what do you think of the film overall? Oh, was, I thought it was great. I <laughs> thought it was really, really good. I thought Carlos's performance is so good that the the performance of Maria is particularly uh-huh. good. Um yeah, Clive is the shitbag that you want him to be. Right, exactly. Um the weird the weird asides and things I think are time dependent, right? Like I think they're, period they're very dependent much, and, yeah, very much a part of the time where you wanted to have some sort of happy ending to it. You wanted to have some sort of so odd. neat wrapping up in a bow of the story. No, and I don't, I don't want any of that. <laughs> yeah. <and laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. That was carried out to self defeating effects at times yeah. in some of these films. Which I don't like, but it's absolutely thrilling. Yeah. I'm so sorry. It is absolutely thrilling. I'm yawning. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yes, yes. absolutely. Very I, good, very I good. really, I love this film. I really love the way that I, I heard an inter- one of the things I did preparing for this was to hear a really interesting interview, which was Christopher Lee, uh-huh. who also played the monster. Yeah, interviewed about his relationship with Boris Karloff, and they were friends. Oh, well, I could see that. And how they would go back and forth about playing these same parts, you know, and and uh, and he would ask for advice, especially on playing the monster and, and yeah. things like that. So there was a he had some interesting insights into Karloff's way of playing the character, which is I'm playing him completely innocent. I was playing him completely, almost like an infantile. Like an infantile. I don't right. know. I, I don't know. How I, I, I don't I really. Am. Yeah, I don't have. Right intention right because i don't even know what there's intention no malice is to what he's doing yeah. at all he picks up the girl he throws her in there because he doesn't understand that he's, he's like, strong this enough is to do a, this. she's pretty like they're this right. is pretty and they float and like <laughs> you can just you can sit there and look at his performance and draw a through line for his rationale for why he throws her in the water yeah and then when he she begins to drown and instantaneously right. he's like i that was not right yeah but here we are. Like, I'm like I, I, yeah. But uh, one um, of the things that Lee mentions is that, um, you know, he knew him as an older man already. And he's like, oh, my God, that man had guts. 
the way that he would show up at a performance. He would do appearances on stage, he'd do appearances on television, get out of his wheelchair, do the full thing, mm-hmm. and then go back and sit down and be in pain for a I little mean, while. I mean, a, lot, a okay. lot of people who are in wheelchairs don't are not restricted to wheelchair, right? right? It's a way to allow them to do... To ha- to keep the energy that they need to do whatever it is. Yeah. So um, I think that that's a thing that a lot of people don't understand. Like they just think as soon as your ass hits a wheelchair seat, that's a wrap right. on ever standing again. And that's for, I'm going to probably say the vast majority of wheelchair users, not the fucking case. Right. Like you use a wheelchair because it allows you to live a life. <laughs> like... Um, Sorry, I'm like real pro mobility aid. Yeah. Like I just am. If it allows you to, but to Lee, it was just like, yeah, live I your just life, saw him do, that. do yeah. these very dynamic performances. Then he would just go back and sort of deflate for a little while, and then he'd sit back yeah. up and he'd be this raconteur and he could just tell you these wonderful stories. I bet the and, stories, right? Yeah, he he did, uh, and he was very well read and very intelligent and mm-hmm. very sharp and. And so, yeah, it, it's. I'm glad that we got to see some of his work at his prime, too. Yeah, it was really good. And um, this is our Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, so in that vein, do you want to, or do you have any recommendations? Probably the same recommendation you have, so you should start. Oh, I, we saw Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Here's the thing about Pinocchio, you guys. Okay. I don't care about the story of Pinocchio, and I don't really understand why everybody wants to make one. I have not seen Robert Zemeckis' uh, Pinocchio because it's a Robert Zemeckis film from after 1990, and I'm not doing that to myself. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's that. But um, we watched... Guillermo del Toro's because, uh, first of all, it's a Guillermo del Toro, so check. Then it is a stop-motion film. Check. Check. And it is, there are some parts about it that I found extraordinarily odd. Like, they put it in the 1940s and made fascism the bad guy, which is oddly prescient for a movie that took 15 years to make. Right. Like, how did he know that Nazis would be our number one fucking um, enemy here in 2022 when this movie was finally released? I don't even really want to know the answer to that. But he, um, the the other thing, it's a, it's on Netflix. It's two hours long. It is stunning. Yeah. It is. Seventy was on her phone the whole time, and I'm just like, look at the screen. It took them. 15 years. Look at the screen. Here's the thing about stop motion. If you look away, you have missed a year of work. Put <laughs> your eyes on the screen. Or like a week of work. Put your eyes on the screen. It's amazing. And I can tell you what the thing is about this story with these people. To someone like Guillermo del Toro, someone like Phil Tippett, someone like even Harry Hausen talked about it. There's a relationship between Frankenstein and Pinocchio sure. and stop motion and this sure. notion of bringing inanimate things to and, life. And doing Pinocchio in a stop motion exactly makes what perfect it sense. Right. But the fact that they're doing, they do live action ones and they do the CG yeah, ones and they do strange. the cartoons over and over again and it's been released over right. and over again and it's, it's, it's just 
it's odd. I never to understood me. the appeal to the character. I think in this, this is the the perfect medium for it. this. Is, yes, yes, because one informs the other, and right. back and back and back, they ping pong back and forth. But the other thing that I would recommend, so, and I recommend watching that. Watch yeah. it with your, you can watch it with your family. It's a kids' movie. It's fine. Watch the thirty-minute documentary yes, that Netflix absolutely. released about the making of it. You can do it before or after. It's not a spoiler because you should know it's the story Pinocchio. You know the story. Even if you don't know the story of Pinocchio, you know the story of Pinocchio. Um, and just fucking marvel at the level of detail. Yeah. In Guillermo del Toro's brain about literally everything. everything. It's the composer of this film only used instruments made out of wood. <laughs> Which is, yeah, that was amazing. Which is insane. Yeah. And genius. <laughs> like, what the fuck? There is a cricket in this movie. It is not Jiminy Cricket because Jiminy Cricket is a Disney fucking property and they are litigious. <laughs> His name is Sebastian J. Cricket. And he's very funny. And for no reason he has a Scottish accent. Also, the accents in this movie don't make any sense. But it's fine. It's yes. It's fine. It's all fine. It's also weirdly adult as a film, and I don't mean that in a way that your family won't find it entertaining, your kids. No. There is, Geppetto is making... Mussolini is a puppet in this movie. Right. Mussolini's a puppet, and there, Geppetto is making a wooden crucifix. There's a giant... Right. Jesus. And... <laughs> in this film. There's a moment when Pinocchio asks, he's made of wood, why do people love him and they don't love yeah. me? Yeah, how, why, right. yeah, why don't why do they love him? I think is exactly how he starts it, and, the, right. and, they're, and the, they're like, "What do you mean? I made wood, and he's made wood, and everybody loves him, and everybody hates me." Right. And I'm just like, "God damn!" <laughs> Which is deep because by the end of the film, when he sacrifices his life for Pinocchio, then he understands why everybody loves him. But it was like, oh. Okay, that was a really interesting way of taking this story. Uh, yes. And and, and like I said, yeah, the, there's a car in it uh -huh. because it takes place in the 40s. I'm just like, there's a car in Pinocchio. This, this book was written in 1883. It's right, exactly. confusing when there is a car. But the, the character design is stunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, and, and, and that documentary where they talk about how they got, they got, the character, the the design for the villain, just right, and then they got they were doing another character design, and Guillermo del Toro was like, "That's our that's our main villain," and so the the beautiful puppet that they made to be the main bad guy is a supporting <laughs> character in the background of a circus. Also, Kate Blanchett plays a monkey because. When she was working with Guillermo del Toro on Nightmare Alley, he, right. she said, I want to be in your next thing. And he said, all I have is a monkey. And she said, I'll do literally anything. And she is the voice of a monkey named Spasatura. <laughs> and this is the sound she makes. <laughs> That's what Kate Blanchett does in this movie. It's 
I believe it was Kate Blanchett who was it Kate Blanchett who did the Academy Awards? Uh, she was the the comedian said that she was the the dog in um, yes yes that yes. she was the dog in uh, No Country for Old Men yes and so because she'll be in it she, she would be anything it's like oh it's actually true she'll she's do anything now, she is and now a, a stop motion animated monkey and, and, yeah because she said I think monkey. I'll be a paper clip in a movie for you right. and he was like all right I mean he's not going to turn her down right. and I bet it was a fucking blast oh yeah I, I am sure that these people had the most fun and watching Christoph Waltz his vocal performance too. <laughs> Where he just gets to ham it up. Just ham it up. You cannot just be big. Be as big as you want to be. And he let all, uh, he did a thing that I appreciate, which is he let all of the actors have their accents. Right. Ewan McGregor is Scottish and he sounds fucking Scottish. He sounds very Scottish. Christopher Waltz is Austrian and he sounds Austrian. Like all of the characters in this movie sound the way that they sound. Except I think, um. Except for Kate Blanchett. She doesn't sound like an Australian monkey. She sounds like a monkey. Um, and yeah, and even, uh, David, oh, I've forgotten his name. Hold on. Pinocchio. You have to look up Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio because you can't even look up Pinocchio 2022 because you'll get the terrifying Zemeckis thing. Um, David Bradley. Mm-hmm. who you may know from the Harry Potter films. He's had a bananas second life. Um, he plays the janitor in the Harry Potter movies. Um, and he plays Geppetto in this, who is a drunk as well in this. Uh, Tilda Swinton, Ron Perlman, because it's a, you know, Guillermo del Toro funny, movie. Yeah, we so... just saw, um, and you saw it for the first time, Cornos. Yes. The very first of the Guillermo del Toro movies to make it big. And there's Ron Perlman, you know. Yeah. Burn Gorman, uh, Finn Wolfhard, Tim Blake Nelson, John Chaturro. Like, it's got a great cast to it. It is, as I say, stunning, but be sure. And Netflix is doing nice work with when the movie is over. The first offer that it shows you to watch next is the documentary. And the documentary is 100% worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Because a lot of times you don't understand what goes into stop motion animation. And no, as person, and they show you how they break apart right. the sets and they talk about they'll make a beautiful puppet mm-hmm. and then they have to make it look like it lives in this world. So they have to make it dirty. They have to distress it. Geppetto mm-hmm. is a poor man. They have to tear his... Thi- like the, right. They have to make this perfect thing and then they have to make it a character. And that is like, uh, yeah. and the, the, uh, well, you don't even, the attention to detail, Guillermo del Toro's attention to detail is savant level. Yeah. Oh, no, that's something that's, the things that come out of that man's head at any given moment um, amaze me. Yeah. And I haven't watched, you watched his Cabinet of Curiosities right. show. Um, I have not yet because i am still in my anti-horror phase i'm not which you might have to share because we're going to start going into that soon with the thrills list uh, i know i know um but oh the rabbits by the way oh the, the death rabbits, rabbits the death rabbits are hysterical <laughs> so good just poker playing death rabbits the 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 
the realization of de- life and death mm-hmm. as manifestations characters played by Tilda Swinton because yeah, of course they fucking right. are. Um, and when I heard them, I thought it was Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I was like, oh no, Kate Blanchett is in this though, but she's a monkey. A, monkey. a one-eyed monkey. Actually, I should have had that. It is too. a one-eyed monkey. Uh, yeah, so that is what I recommend. Is that what yes, you're recommending? Yes, that was absolutely right. <laughs> All right, so those two things, for sure. Um, now, next week, I, I forgot to mention. No, I didn't forget to mention. I was I moved you're into this part. You're going to go into it. Next week, uh-huh. our last movie of December. Okay. Our last movie of 2022. Ooh, what is it? Wait Until Dark. Oh. Audrey Hepburn. World champion blind lady. Blind lady. Harassed by Alan Alda. No, no, Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. Sorry, not out. Al- Sorry, Alan Alda. You're not. I get their names. Con- I know uh, the difference between the actors. I get their names. Con- Alan Arkin, and it sounds really strange, like that guy, but it's like, oh, no, 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 no. He's an actual actor. He gets asked to play the same kind of character a lot. Well, but he, he may have also reached his Chris Walken, Val Pacino, mm-hmm. right. you know, phase where we're just hiring you to do this. He made a funny joke once. It's just like, my job now is to play the grandfather in the movie. He goes, go marry the girl. You know, that's like his thing. (laughs) Go get her. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Yes. So he, yes, this is a a very good movie. You guys, if you haven't seen Wait Until Dark, find it. Uh We recorded it off of TCM. TCM. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me actually look. And they show it fairly often. Um, But yeah. God, Audrey Hepburn. Who would have thought? I we have seen this. I've seen this movie. But this is not. This is a. This is a rewatch for me. Yeah, it's rentable. It's rentable on everything, from two ninety nine. Do I wouldn't watch it uh, home alone in the dark at night. No, <laughs> I would get a friend because the shit is tense. Um, I am already. I'm calling it. It's thrilling, everybody. <laughs> so uh, I am very excited to watch that. That is going to be our last movie of December. And then we'll be into January. We'll talk about the new year next week when we next get there. Week. All right. Until then, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at latecomers at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at latecomers by, or at, by searching for Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. Or you can find us on Twitter probably until it implodes. And until next week, I would like to remind you to please, please, please take your medicine. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And we would like to remind you, better Better late late than than never. never.